All right, so welcome to this episode of Cloud Currents, where we grab industry experts across the cloud ecosystem and chat about current events and experiences. So with me today, we've got Vinoth Chander, who I'm going to refer to as the data guy. So thanks for joining us, Vinoth. Thanks for having me on, David. And uh, I think I'm, I'm flattered by and, uh, how you're going to call me, but uh, I don't think I'll do justice <laughs> to that. But happy to hear, be here and look forward to the, the podcast. So today's topic is going to be all about data. We're going to talk about data science, analytics, warehousing, all that great stuff. And to start, we'll just go into a bit of your, your career journey and let's see how I do here. I'm sure you've talked about your career. Let's see if I can sum it up. You've got a pretty notable background. So if just looking at the last 10 years or so, 2011, you left a pretty good gig at Oracle and joined LinkedIn, which I had to double check, but that was the year that LinkedIn went public. So that had to be a pretty crazy time, a lot of very rapid growth, hyper growth, if you will. Several years later, where we hit 2014 timeframe and you move over to Uber, which was also in the very early days, it had to be equally as crazy, I would imagine. I'm, I'm kind of curious which one was crazier for you. That laid the groundwork for what you were doing with Apache Hoodie at that time, which is near and dear to yourself. And that's a topic for today. Then post Uber, it looks like you, you continued that effort for the Apache Hoodie project, as well as a, an effort with Confluent doing some Apache Kafka things, if you will, for streaming data. And that takes you to where you're at today, running a, a company that you started called One House. And how did I do? Pretty accurate, actually. And, and to just quickly answer your question off the bat, uh, bat, I think Uber was like way more exciting and like, you know, kind of like way more crazy of a ride because I joined much earlier at Uber and, and kind of when we started, we didn't have like a data team. We, we basically practically built like data infrastructure ground up. Uh, that said, LinkedIn was a fascinating ride. I, I consider that I learned a lot of the things I know today around operating kind of reliable data platforms at LinkedIn because we were mm -hmm. building, this was pre-cloud and we were building, you know, kind of e-value stores in a in an era on-prem where there's no cloud, you have to really power like a, you know, high scale, um, con like, you know, consumer facing website. And we had like a three person team doing that. So it was kind of like a really, really uh, good experience. I think I would say at LinkedIn as well. That's awesome. So out of curiosity, so was your career always destined to do um, all things data or was there a, a turning point somewhere along the way? Cause I, you know, I feel personally like a lot of us go to school for computer science and programming and, and rooted in traditional things. So where did you start to see that data was going to be a, a thing for you? Oh, that's a great question. So originally, my passion was around distributed systems, not specifically around databases, but kind of like a little bit more adjacent, right? Mm -hmm. And I was interested in all kinds of distributed systems, like mobile networks. Mobile networking is a distributed system, right? So is large-scale, uh, high-performance computing. They're distributed systems too. Data, like, so, um, so when I went to grad school in UT Austin, I actually had the, the chance to work on two of these areas. One was like a vehicular content delivery network or like a DTN, as they call it, Relay Tolerant Network. It was around the mobile networking and how we do Wi-Fi uh, offloading and things like that. And I also got the chance hmm. to work at the Texas Advanced Computing Center, where they run some of the biggest supercomputers in the country to generate weather reports. And, you know, if anybody remembers MPI and all those like parallel processing programs from the older days, uh, you know, I started my journey and all of that. We built like a, a, a shell, like a bash-like shell, uh, equivalent, which can do distributed programs and distributed like, you know, map reduce kind of analysis. So I was doing both of these. Honestly, my passion was more towards, you know, that was when the mobile networking was kind of like exploding. So I actually wanted to go do more <laughs> around mobile networking. But then I landed my uh, a, a job and I really liked the the initial uh, team at Oracle really well. They're doing database replication, very hard, uh, very fun computer science problems to solve. So I ended up joining uh, Oracle and then that's kind of like set me on this track to do data pretty much uh, for the entire time since then. 
the one interesting thing I would add is uh, kind of how sometimes you connect the dots looking backwards. I ended up actually running the uh, mobile, like the mobile networking team at Uber for like a, a good one of right. years where we were actually solving uh, the, the way I got into that role was I was interviewing, we were interviewing a bunch of people to solve, you know, making the Uber app very fast in like, you know, low connectivity networks, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, like emerging markets and things like that. And and it was kind of like this kind of similar problems that I was working on in grad school where we need to make TCP faster uh, and uh, for like, you know, faster connectivity on the go. So it was kind of like funny how I consider myself very lucky to have worked on these two problems in the industry as well, in some sense, uh, that I went to schools for. So, but, but I'm a, I love the make TCP faster, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> like a UDP, but no, you can't use UDP. We just need to make TCP faster. Th- that's uh, that's great because I was going to actually mention that, that it seems like you got the best of both worlds, uh, the mobile uh, the mobile side with Uber and the, the data side with all things that led up to it. But it, so you had grad school, you had LinkedIn, you had Uber. I'm going to, I don't know if it's one of those three here, but what would you say was probably the right place, right time for you? Like, what, what was that moment where you're like, you were like, man, I'm, I'm glad I'm here, that this is kind of what got me where I'm going? Yeah, definitely Uber and, and all the events that led up to us building Huri, uh, I would say, because my two jobs right before that was on database CDC and building a key value store at scale. So, you know, I had basically looked at database problems and we had also, you know, uh, at LinkedIn, as you know, the rise of Apache Kafka and stream processing. And I had like, a, you know, sort of like a front row seats into that. So when I naturally landed at Uber, I felt like, okay, I had, you know, I'd worked on these problems and, and Uber is like a very real-time business. And when we face these kind of, you know, we are caught between a data warehouse and a traditional data lake, it was, I felt like I was kind of like, you know, at the right place with the right kind of, previous four or five years of experience to see the problem in that way, which is, okay, uh, can we kind of make all the data processing on the data lake less batchy and more incremental and then work backwards, okay, what do we really need to do that and unify this whole data warehouse, data lake divide, right? So that I feel wouldn't have happened without mm-hmm. maybe like the the roles leading other projects leading up to that. And that for that, I consider myself lucky, I would say. Yeah, kind of getting to see the problem statement just to materialize in front of you. So we'll definitely get into Hoodie in a minute here. I think given your background in data sciences in general, it'd be great to get your perspective on just the the industry itself. That I think the term, I know it's been around for a while, but it seems to really have come into its own certainly recently, uh, definitely separating itself from just what a data analyst might have called themselves. So I, you know, recently I, I happened to read a book that highlighted DJ Patil and what he was doing as a, a data scientist under the Obama administration. And he had a, a pretty concise goal that he put out there that data science and his role was all about unleashing in a responsible fashion, the power of data to benefit people. But you know what does what does data science mean to you, and and how are its goals different than maybe other related fields that we've long been used to, like you know databases and, and database architects and things like that. Got it. Got it. I think, and and again, right, the like DJ Powell uh, was at LinkedIn as well. I think when, if I'm not wrong, when we coined the term data scientist, right. uh, and and I think uh, yeah. So my understanding is very similar, which is. It's all about it, it. So databases are warehouses or lakes. It's about the actual data infrastructure, the thing that serves and stores the data, right? But data science is all about, I think, kind of unearthing patterns uh, from data, like data, to kind of either feed product feedback. Hey, you should be building like new products in a certain way. This is where you know your existing customer base or things like that. Or even, you know, uh, there are opportunities for feed into machine learning or other things where you could be sort of optimizing the, like, you know, machine to machine, you could be optimizing a lot of these experiences kind of end to end, right? 
and and uh, the the great thing about data science i think is it it kind of needs a lot of other supporting functions like you need data engineering to be able to you know kind of move data to systems that can uh, uh, let you analyze right because it's a lot of very large scale data exploration that is needed to unearth these patterns uh, so you need data engineers you need uh, sort of like data visualization a powerful ways for you to kind of look at the data and even spot these patterns right so in in, in so i think it's a very important but like a very multi kind of like functional kind of uh, area in 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 my opinion uh, at uber for example data science grew hand in hand with data engineering and visualization on the other side because we uh, needed to visualize like geospatially uh, that was not like, uh, you know, a lot of companies before that didn't have that big a need to visualize data on like, you know, uh, uh, you know, like areas and hexagon by hexagon and seeing where the traffic patterns are, where are the cars going in and out of and what is the, the surge work spread across the city and things like that. So if you look at it, it's, it's, it's kind of like goes, uh, cuts across all these different disciplines, I think. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I'd go out on a limb and I'm, I'm happy to be wrong here, but I would say that most people on the surface don't consider LinkedIn a, a data company. But when you really think about it, like the profiles of what it's known for really became a, a modern data type of sorts. So you, know, you talk about the key value work that you did there and sort of setting that stage. Do you feel like it gave new new value to what data scientists and engineers could do? Because I think that data anal uh, analysts, there's a bit of a misnomer with that title that pretty much anybody assumes that an, an analyst is working with data. So it seems like almost like a duplicative meeting here, working uh, data and analyst. So you've got data science and it seems to really have taken LinkedIn forward to a point that I'd say that a lot of folks use it for, you know, hiring practices, and it really disrupted the market. But, you know, on the back end here, there's a lot of data work that's going on as far as analytics. And I don't know how much exposure you had to it in that realm, but is there anything you could share with us on some of those early days of what LinkedIn was doing as it was going through its hyper growth? Yeah, so LinkedIn is like, a, you know, on the business side, it, it sells like, you know, recruiting solutions. It's essentially B2B business, right? So we had a uh, data analyst uh, on a data warehouse doing generally what they do. But things really changed, I feel, when LinkedIn started building, uh, you know, people you may know, a job you may, recommend, you, know, you may be interested in, because it's a big, large-scale matching problem, right? You have millions of profiles that you want to connect millions of other profiles to. You have millions of jobs and you want to match people to. So I feel uh, at that point, a lot of the traditional RDBMS or the data warehouses just simply couldn't do. Uh, things like that, right? And then the kind of algorithms that you needed to run, for example, for people you may know, uh, you need to like do a graph search where you are comparing like, you know, your connections, your connections, 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 and we need to run like these kind of analysis, right? So you need a like completely new uh, infrastructure, like that is kind of, you know, where Hadoop data lakes and all of these things kind of broad, you know, came into prominence because you need to crunch a large amount of data then you you are actually like you know uh, I call them data applications because they're essentially your computing results which you are then loading into serving stores and kind of serving to the site and we were right at that point where we were the key value store that was serving all your pe people profs who viewed your profile anything that like you know rhymes like this on the LinkedIn side where it's a it's something that we built out of crunching data and recommending that was served out of like the key value store that, that we were building. And uh, I that's where I feel like it kind of like the infrastructure, the kind of engineers that worked on it and the, the you know, the, the, this whole thing, the, the field that thing bifurcated, right? Because, the, because of how sophisticated yeah. these ML algorithms are compared to, let's say, what you would normally run on for business dashboarding or BI, right? So it's that that's kind of like how I how I see it, and it's kind of stayed the same way. I think from that point on, uh, and like you said, right, a lot of people don't 
realize, but LinkedIn actually was ahead in this game than most social networks of that time when they were doing all these like different products and kind of set a lot of the data science in the industry in motion. Uh, if you, if we go back and look at the evolution of the thing, that, that's fantastic. Because I, you're right. I without truly looking, I don't know that I would have um, drawn that conclusion either. But it, it makes me think as you're talking here that while a profile doesn't change much, right? It gets updated here and there. There's quite a bit of analytics that are pretty continually changing on the back end, and it's got to be very different as you come to a company like Uber where while the profile spans the term of a uh, a career time, right, professional career for a person, Uber, you're you're looking more at a a trip, right, a unit of measure here. So, how did this key value and analytics, this back end, morph into what you started this Apache Hoodie project at Uber? I, I think I'm starting to see what the problem statement was as you're talking, but. It seems like there's some of the same within LinkedIn, but it, there's clearly a new situation that was presented with Uber, and I'd love to hear how you arrived, how you got to the the building of Hoodie yeah. versus trying to find a solution that was out there. Yeah, so that's a great point. So what what you see is in in profile data does not change at that kind of like a rapid rate, but trips do change, and it's not so. So what we've seen, and, and kind of we didn't realize it at first. Uh, Uber had a lot of people coming in from Facebook and LinkedIn and like, you know, your usual kind of like, you know, companies that you'd expect in, in, in the Bay Area, right, to to come and build. And then we all built like very large data lakes before that, right? But the thing that stumped us was the transactional nature of the data and the fact that it's changing. For example, a trip starts, it let's say lasts 20 minutes, right? So the trip starts, you know the ride on the driver. You know a price upfront, but the price may change after the fact of the trip. Right, the, the 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 route you take changes. Like there's many things that change. Maybe you change the payment method, uh, like mid trip. So we really had this need to, and this was the core data of the company, as you can see. This feeds everything else, right? So we needed to merge these updates yeah. into uh, like the downstream system very uh, quickly. And at at LinkedIn, uh, for this data can be a little bit more stale, right? We, we get like all the events and the page views and all of these things we we get in uh, in like you know sort of like real time but the, uh, but the actual transactional data could be like can take like you can do like batch copies and things like that at Uber we simply couldn't afford to do that right and that is kind of what uh, stumped a lot of us who had come from running like you know Twitter uh, Facebook or LinkedIn's kind of data infra at that point. And and then we actually pondered over this for a while before finally deciding to kind of build a system around it. Uh, because this was like a pattern that has not been broken in the last 10 years before that, right? So there was like a lot of like debate about, hey, we didn't need updates or these things for 10 years in the Hadoop land. Why do you need this now, right? And, and we had to like work through mm-hmm. a lot of those questions. But... Uh, for me, as well, the other angle is Uber is a really, you know, truly real-time business. Like, you know, I know it sounds cliched, but think about it, right? If the weather, the traffic changes, if there's a big event and it rains, the weather changes, things are changing in the real world, which means, you know, people are, you know, somebody who wants to take a public transport is now taking Uber and then that changes demand. That has to now apply, uh, you know, affect supply. Yeah. And then the pricing changes. Everything changes. So for us, we, from the start, we were like, okay, we need all the data in near real time, right? As fresh as possible uh, in 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 our data lake. Uh, because we, just as first principle, I think it would help us, right? If, if anything, uh, you know, as even the real world changes, we can respond very quickly, right? So we also looked at it from this problem of, we, I saw firsthand what stream processing did to a company like LinkedIn and how the power of data streams kind of like was, you know, really, you know, amazing and transformative, right? But can we now do this with the scale of the data lake? Because if we moved all of our data to a stream processing system, we just cannot afford that, right? It's going to be super expensive. 
we can't we we to run everything in like you know real real time we needed the columnar uh, file formats we needed the horizontal scalability of the data lakes we needed the compute scalability of the data lake but can we now build a system which can now provide you know kind of you know the the capability of the warehouses around like you know the transactional capabilities updates and all those things but also can it now uh, help us change some of our you know expensive etl jobs basically and data transformations into more incremental model right and i think 5 years now what a team that uber has achieved is they moved all of their core warehouse uh, you know processing into a more incremental model and they've gotten like you know very large gains out of this uh so hmm. i think i would say it's a it's a combination of uh a bunch of requirements around uber's business that got us to build some of these things and uh like uh, the one thing i didn't touch upon probably is the 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 regulation in the business it's a highly regulated business so we may have to delete data long before gdpr was like a thing in the industry right uh so we built huri way ahead of time and for 2 years it was this like nerdy little thing that like the uber engineers built but then when gdpr happened everybody started to see the light which is oh i can't treat my data lake as like a dump of files right and and we needed to have efficient uh, like you know format standardization all these things are great but you need to have efficient way to be able to delete your data and like manage your data on the data lake so those were i think the two three i say industry trends and the business requirements at uber that kind of forced i think this category now yeah that's really interesting the so it's like you need the the power of what a data data warehouse provides in reporting but you, you can't wait for you know the normalization of unstructured data you've got new data constantly coming in you need to report on it in real time so you know you've got a, a use case here that demands that but it sounds like there's really not a lot of tool sets or options out there to go to go buy one so if that you build one if i have that correct and what we've seen is uh like most people who have transactional data right and i have been able to apply the same uh, pattern basically uh take uh, amazon.com uh walmart uh, like robinhood anybody who has this kind of like transactional data essentially very high scale data right millions of transactions millions of orders and stuff like that which are all like changing i think uh, you know they build some very large data lakes out there using uh huri uh which which power all of these in like near real time okay so as you're talking the uh the thing that came to mind here was uh, it seemed like data lakes and data warehouses really as separate things and we know that uh, some of these are coming together in the form of a lake house these days under a new term but uh, what you're describing is the need for data warehouse style reporting in like real time on what sounds like unstructured data right you don't have time to wait for the the ETL or ELT process to hit a data warehouse and it just strikes me that anybody who's working with a data warehouse of traditional sense would see this and say that this is the next coming of what data warehouse does and maybe as an overstatement here but i'm thinking of data warehouses in my mind were always a thing that you brought data to i i build my data warehouse i bring the data to it and it does the data warehouse things and it's almost like you're describing that there's a business case and a data a problem and i want to bring all of this data warehousing and 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 analytics to the data is is that a good way to think about this as we see the growth of unstructured data that we're yeah. we're bringing the power to the data versus the traditional reverse um yeah so uh actually i right, well this this is like a very interesting thing to understand the data lake house is actually all about structured data so far that 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 should kind of like make us like sit up and think right because so the two okay. angles to this the lake the data lake on the data warehouse and then the other thing is structured versus unstructured data right and i think there are actually slightly separate problems so let's start with the data warehouse what's a data warehouse it's been there out there for decades it's a specialized database basically where you know it's a specialized relational database essentially where you can move your from your online database or a oltp system 
to that and it's optimized with columnar storage and fast you know query engines are optimized for crunching the data and reporting rolling up counting stuff basically right the analytics so yeah and data lakes uh, like i i mentioned before they mostly evolved to kind of process large amounts of files if you will you know put it in a very crude way right and the main uh, and that had been traditionally structured uh, data like you know uh, our semi structured data csv files json something like that uh, or completely unstructured data like you know throw a bunch of pdfs in there and then you know all pdfs are different there is no structure to any of them how do you process so you could do all of that right the data lake the data lake house effort is so far in the industry is around how we deal with even the structured data how do we deal with uh, that more effectively right across different use cases for example the linkedin uh, like you know use cases that we talked about none of them were unstructured data right because all the events that we are emitting around let's say page views or uh, your profile view events so anything that we needed to build these data apps as they call them like they all have like a schema they had like some kind of like you know like a nested uh, structure and we could actually you know store them in and that help helped us store them in like kind of you know uh, open file formats and then run jobs on top of them right what has changed in the last five years is there are open columnar file formats like you know uh, apache parquet apache orc which are broadly adopted and now uh, it's all all this is about is can we bring these varos capabilities uh, on top of those open file formats uh, and make uh, you know data science machine learning analytics all sit on top of one single copy of the data that is pretty much what the what the lakehouse uh, uh, vision um, as so far achieved in the industry right uh, this whole unstructured data into the lakehouse that journey is just starting and we are actually working towards a bunch of this in hudi now where we are actually expanding hudi to include more um this is hudi 1.0 that we are, that our team is currently working on where we try to include images videos or like you know llm vector indexes all these kinds of other uh, unstructured data types we can also bring them into the uh, the data lakehouse paradigm if you will but uh, ultimately it's about can we decouple the compute like the storage the data management on the storage from different compute engines right that's basically it i i reckon data warehouses are going to be really great at bi and analytics and these kind of traditional bi reporting that every company basically needs for a few like you know like uh, right for for a few years right and then there are specialized engines uh, uh for data science and ml and there are more evolving around the ais the stream processing engines evolving so can they all fit on top of a single copy of the data that's the thing that we're probably you know all of us are working towards i think in the industry so let's talk more about um, the the data structure side. You mentioned structured data, unstructured, semi-structured, and in Lakehouse, we're talking about addressing that semi-structured format. It sounds like that we're we're trying to take an um, an approach that's not so rigid in the, the row and columnar space. But where does the unstructured data, like preserving that model, start and stop? Is the you mentioned trying to work from one copy? Are you saying that one of the big challenges right now is trying to work from that unstructured data set and preserve it? Or does that eventually have to find its way to semi-structured and structured data along the line here? Yeah, yeah, great question. So yeah, I think most companies, what I see is they they need to turn their, let's say they have a JSON database upstream. They need to kind of like attach some kind of structure to get it into a form, into a lake house or a warehouse. Uh, to be able to do like you know meaningful things with that and process that more reliably. What really happens with unstructured data, like when you query as it is, is the data can change in like kind of very incompatible ways, and then your your analysis can keep breaking if if we don't kind of bring it into some some kind of like structured form. 
it's it's and also it's less about like you know you have even in structured data right now you have like nested data right a lot of these file formats that i talked about can support in a nested so uh, structure so you can take json and turn it into like a parquet file if you want right with with the same kind of structure of a json so it's it's more about making sure the data is evolving in sort of like compatible ways uh, so that the, the the business processes don't break right they don't keep breaking uh, like whenever you change something in an upstream database so i think that that's the main issue that we uh, around this that we see people uh, dealing with right there's companies who have like a lot of image data and uh, let's say think about like healthcare uh, companies right so they all the the problem of data management there is less about this it's more about i have images and i have surrounding metadata how do i get this in in and store and manage it in a way that i can change the metadata and the image in a in a kind of like a consistent way for example you have like some patient data uh you may want to attach like some extra metadata to an x-ray as well as like maybe you you replace the x-ray right you you have a newer x-ray maybe the old one was wrong how how do we like replace the image and the metadata like in consistent kind of like ways hmm. so that is the bigger problem around unstructured data management right and like i said like the lake of technologies today have addressed only the structured part of it like if you take look at hudi we have easy utilities for you to take csv json xml like all kinds of these like semi unstructured semi structured structured data schematize them and and like you know like make uh, well optimized tables and on the other side you are able to bring them in front of warehouses lake engines like you know all the data processing is like spark flink uh, all these different things so uh but unstructured data management is an active area i think that we need to go on tackle next um but it's but it's uh, it's yeah. very interesting it's evolving because there are so many data types right there is like some 10 different image types there is some five six different you know audio video types it, it's like a, it, it's an evolving space and a lot more diverse and complex to wrangle i would say it makes me draw a comparison here to like what's going on in the generative ai space and just machine learning and and how we are labeling data like that so when when you're talking about needing to manage this metadata around the data itself it seems like it's a very similar problem statement to how we organize the the metadata around the data itself and and uh, and manage that when it comes to the 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 transactional nature so the idea that we we bring transactional database things to a data lake what were some of the core pillars of, of like OLTP type workloads that you needed to make sure were tried and true with hoodie that were you know no exception were they rooted in performance were they rooted in single copy of the data you talked about quite a few things here but what are some things that are core to hoodie and how it operates that are are uh, non-starters for breaking Yeah. So, uh it's a good question, right? So when whenever the the first thing is whenever we think about transactional data, we are I think we are unconsciously we kind of relate to relational databases and and OLTP systems. And our view is that is not the right approach for the for the the data lake or the lake house kind of model because these are high throughput systems, right? And you're not probably you're you're doing like large scale analysis or even like your even your analytics queries are crunching through a lot of data and giving you like you know counts right so this is not the same problem as you know like uh having a database behind your app that is taking orders and doing all these like you know online uh, kind of real uh, kind of applications so that is the first distinction we make and that is where actually we see when we look at like you know other projects in the space uh, like they they build all these like you know stuff like uh serializability um because the relational databases talk a lot about database serializability but serializability in these kind of high throughput systems with multiple writers is very very bad because your large processes which are going to fail and lock on each other uh and like waste a whole bunch of compute so the way uh, we thought about this was you know how can we uh bring 
essentially uh, more uh, borrow more from stream processing in terms of how they've dealt with high throughput event streams and how we can kind of you know uh, commit data atomically into a table and expose ways for us to sort of keep managing the table uh, like uh, in the background while we continue multiple writers to keep like writing data like you know like uh, continuously to the table so our concurrency we try to uh, you know approach different concurrency controls like mvcc models uh, non blocking concurrency controls that we borrow from database literature which are slightly different from the the traditional uh, relational databases right and and for me having worked with like a relational database and build like a key value store and i was like building some like real time data store for a little bit of a time I, i understand these like subtle differences in concurrency control how they kind of uh, you know matter uh, but but uh, the the way we approached it was as a we're going to do high throughput writing there're going to be jobs writing data in high throughput how do you make these jobs commit data atomically while allowing for larger concurrency uh, even if it sacrifices strict serializability right so th- th- those are some ways that that we we thought about sort of like you know uh, we still we are still building let's say multi table transactions uh, for example it could could have been easily built before but the the use cases aren't just there uh, for like in in the data lake it's a it's a very uh, what i describe works for almost 99% of the the use cases out there which is a single job which is computing or training a etl committing to a table and then a whole bunch of background process or backfilling data or doing some maintenance on the tables right that's that's how we approach it great lots of updates so if i understand that correctly it's it really you want to preserve you don't want to mess with the rights you want as many rights coming in uninhibited um and uh, non-blocking as you said and does that mean that the the read operation because this is real time you want to be able to read from that same data that you're writing that you have a lot of rights coming in but compared to the rights the read might be from a copy that isn't up to date is you're just reading from whatever is most recently available on the copy yeah. of data i say copy of data i should say the data because we're working from a single set of data but it sounds like the writes are far more important than the read and the read is just benefiting from the real time nature of the the platform right so for reads you basically provide snapshot isolation where you say you're reading the latest committed state of the table right and 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 the state may be changing uh, over time and and think about it these reads can be like very long let's say like a large machine learning training pipeline or these queries can be very short like a dashboard that is just like trying to look at like some numbers right so you need to also build like retain enough snapshots over a time so that as as the table is changing if you go and delete like the previous snapshot those jobs are going to fail after running for seven hours right which you you lose a lot of compute all the compute power you spend like you know this is now lost midway so so there are like uh so so for reads you have snapshot isolation and you need a, a powerful enough metadata system that can retain enough snapshots and take like sort of like more uh, again maintain increment metadata more more incrementally Uh, right so th- those are some some right the whole merging uh, process of, of of the data right Th- those are some like very specific design considerations to like again design a transaction layer for these workloads right uh, um and and we without like kind of blindly uh, talking about kind of relational database concepts that we are all familiar with uh, growing up you know in computer science um right so uh, for example like no sequel had to you know sacrifice a little like some of the transactional like the multi row transactions even uh, to get like you know availability and other things going so database systems are always a trade off for different workloads and and for us we need to make the right trade offs for the data lake workloads uh, that's that's kind of like the main main point Yeah, definitely. And so the right like trade-offs cap theorem and things like that and acid. You talked about 
99% of the use cases here. Maybe go into this a little bit more. What where where does somebody need to be in their data warehouse, data lake journey to take advantage of what Hoodie can do? Is it something that everybody can everybody can benefit from it today? Or is there a certain stage you need to be in with your data to truly uh, take advantage of it. If your scenario, maybe that's the other part here. I think we've talked a lot about scenarios just as they've come up, but you know, scenario and I guess uh, your position with data today, how do you find the fit for Hoodie? Yeah, so I think if you have a data warehouse today, and uh, I think if you're sim on, on, you're thinking about you know adding more use cases because if you have a data warehouse today, you're probably doing like traditional BI kind of use cases in your company, right? Data warehouse probably works uh, well for that as long as you have low throughput data or low scale data, if you will. Um, so typically what I see uh, based on the, the hoodie community is people outgrow their data warehouses uh, either when, and, and if you have, let's say a NoSQL data store, um, if you move from like a small relational database to a NoSQL data store, then suddenly the warehouse cannot like, you know, absorb, like can't keep up uh, with, with those things. And and becomes like very really expensive to do this ingestion and 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 the initial data prep kind of stages, right? So those are a good point to consider warehouse cost and looking into non BI use cases like data science, machine learning. You absolutely need to have like a, like this kind of a data lake house based kind of architecture where. You can bring multiple engines, right? Because you have something like Apache Spark or like there's a lot of Python libraries around data science, which are like really great. You get a lot of built-in algorithms around data science right off out of the gate from them, right? You don't want to be hand building all of these on like a, you know like a Varos with on UDFs and things like that. So I think yeah, if you and if you have a data lake today and if you have large batch jobs which are kind of running up your cloud costs. And those are, again, a good reason for you to consider something like Hoodie, which is kind of right now, at this point, like pretty industry-proven for these kinds of incremental workloads, right? So instead of, let's say, running a batch job every eight hours and building some like table on top of the data lake, you could be running that job every, uh, I don't know, like few minutes, right? Every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes. And like Hoodie is able to kind of do that build the same tables incrementally because of all the the indexing and all the different uh, things that we talked about around like the transactional layer, right? So those are like two different, uh, you know, for existing data warehouse data lake users uh, where I would recommend uh, looking seriously into something like that. Good. So you mentioned public cloud there, uh, or you mentioned cloud. I'm going to take it to public cloud actually. But um, how do you see public cloud services impacting this space? And Object storage, definitely with Amazon S3, has been a pretty impactful thing in our industry and uh, certainly stores a lot of data. But are there other things that public cloud and the services that they're bringing to market are doing to impact the space either for the to the positive or maybe they're creating new trends or problems needing to be solved? So all, all in the, the light of good things here, but what is the, the general effect of public cloud services in driving data usage up and maybe where it, what it means for the future of Hoodie as well. You've talked about how it's evolved to date, but maybe where it's going as well. Yeah, so I think we, we uh, for Hoodie, we worked very closely with Amazon since uh, 2019 because again, like, you know, going back to like, you know, Amazon.com uh, by itself, like, you know, using Hoodie for like some very critical kind of like use cases, right? So, and, and the way uh, I see uh, this fitting into cloud service providers is for, let's say, AWS has pre-installed really into all their major analytics services since 2019. And, um, and, and I think CSPs in general, they usually have multiple analytical services that um, you are using for different use cases, like how I've been like emphasizing through this entire podcast. Right. If you look at AWS, there's Athena for analytics, there is Redshift a warehouse, there is like EMR to do Spark and data science and like, you know, EMR also now supports Flink for stream processing. So there's all these, they usually have like a portfolio of query engines, if you will. And something like Hoodie uh, really can serve as that central, like, you know, that, uh, more of a universal data layer 
that goes across all these different engines and they're like more naturally kind of aligned uh, uh, to for, for it's in their customers' benefits to have that like one single copy of data. And uh, uh, Amazon has done like a really good job, I would say, integrating hoodie uh, into things like AWS Glue uh, uh, even so you can easily move data uh, into hoodie tables if you wanted to like in a bunch of bunch of different uh, places, right? And and we have like you know similar kind of uh, pre-installed installed into you know four other cloud providers, including uh, Google Cloud. Um, so for us, from us, you know the the so hoodie was long out there installed in cloud providers before we st- even started like one house around it, <laughs> or like you know building on the idea. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's already there. It's already happening. Uh, it's already like a more of a mainstream uh, um, trend that people are adopting a technology like that be, uh, for these purposes. So you mentioned one house there, and, and I I wanted to ask this question actually first uh, earlier on, but Hoodie, I, I'm kind of a guy who likes to know the, the origins of a name, but where did the, the name Hoodie originate as far as uh, the project? Yeah, so it was basically a... Uh, uh, it's like an interesting story behind it. So, and the hoodie stands for, you know, Hadoop upsets, deletes, and incrementals. This is kind of the, the core capability that we are like uh-huh. adding to the data lake. That's how it started. Although internally, I mean, at, at Uber back then, we, we had this thing of na- giving everything like a cool code name, uh, if you will. So initially the project was called hoodie, hoodie, the, the clothing, right? And then that's how we actually open sourced the project. But then there was like some name clash or somebody had like a name clash of the project. So we went back to the the, the acronym basically. <laughs> but but we, oh, we are already we are already in uh, production with hoodie by that time. So if you you still see like you know a lot of our code named uh, like the hoodie is in the clothing. While you know the project's official name was remained like hoodie for like a while, just like uh, like an interesting uh, you know kind of twist there. Once you open source the project, I love it. It works pretty well with the, with the clothing line, right? Give Amazon a run for their yeah. money on their reinvent uh, jackets. You, you need to get the <laughs> the hoodie hoodies going for folks. Should sure be a pretty popular thing. Yeah. Let's talk about One House. So you've got One House going now, which is around uh, hoodie uh, services. Uh, what's the focus there? So hoodie as a technology is certainly tried and true. If it works for the likes of Uber, I don't know that anybody's going to question uh, whether or not the, the solution works, but where do you find your time spent in one house and why did you see a need to to get that started? Perfect. So so the thing is, we didn't conceive one house as a managed hoodie company, actually. So one house was born out of this pattern that I saw in the uh, Oasis hoodie com- uh, community for four years. Uh, right, we build a community uh, ground up, and we are building like a grassroots kind of open source project, right? And and it was mostly just because it was fun. It was like purely, you know, weekends and nights uh, outside of my day jobs that like were like at the other places. But the pattern I noticed was people typically have these pains with existing data lakes or data warehouses, and they. They, they come to the community to start building this architecture that I'm talking about, where I'm basically advocating for, let's move all your you know event data, your uh, transactional data and any data that you have into one kind of like, you know, open uh, data layer first. And you should have the optionality to go attach many different engines for different use cases. Because having been through that ride at Uber and LinkedIn, we know that inevitably you're going to get to that point Right, but and a lot of people reach that point and join the hoodie community, pick up the technology to help them build that architecture. Right, but what I observed was it takes them eight to nine months or up to a year for kind of like engineers to pick up on like you know ten to like four or five different open source technologies. You need to learn like at least one of Spark Flink really well. You need to know how to like run Debezium well to change capture. You need to know how to manage Kafka well. You need you need to know understand Postgres, let's say, and it's like change capture and all these different things. 
You need to understand how S3 scales and you need to understand how catalogs work and how these different engines work, right? So I felt this was like a very insurmountable bar for data engineers and like, you know, to and platform teams to kind of invest like a year into to get this architecture. So so one of us more about standardizing this kind of like a, a more of a, what I what we now call a universal data architecture where we say, let's have your source data, right? And your like, you know, first two layers of your data stored in purely open formats. And we have built a managed service to kind of, you know, fast track you there, right? So with one house, you point click, you can bring all kinds of data into, into your data lake house. And we built even broad interoperability across even other competing Lakehouse uh, kind of like storage formats and other projects right now where we have complete universal interoperability. It can connect to any engine, uh, any warehouse out there and be able to do like, you know, and then and then you have the freedom now, right? You, you have, can pick whichever engine you want to uh, buy uh, because the same companies would be using, for example, uh, open source engine uh, out of open source in one team, uh, while maybe like data science team gets like uh, like the more premium uh, uh, you know compute uh, uh, you know backed by a vendor because they need their jobs to be faster. And then you want to do some ad hoc analysis, and you don't want to like use a different engine for that. So we see how the the buying process for these query engines are actually very different across use cases and price performance needs. So we want to enable that, right, across. And then Hoodie is a the foundational technology, the storage layer that makes all of this happen. Because without Hoodie, we won't be able to ingest, like bring this data very fast into a data lake house and kind of like incrementally transform it, cut down costs. So essentially, it gives us all this like infrastructure goodness that, like you said, most of these other big companies have reaped from Hoodie. But what we're really building at One House is we're trying to make this the starting point for anybody starting on cloud data. Instead of picking a proprietary warehouse, migrating two years down the line into a data lake, a journey that again takes a year, right? So we, we just thought that this like a better way of doing, uh, building this architecture in the cloud. Yeah, the, the open source landscape is is pretty uh it's pretty daunting when you look at the the options and and all the things that are being done there it actually makes me wonder because i don't talk to too many people who start and run apache projects but what was it like running um the apache hoodie project for those that that aren't really close to how those things function and and work but you've run that for some time now love to hear just some insider info about what it's like to run an apache project yeah, I mean, that I think has been like a really big journey for me. And interestingly, before Hoodie, I've actually not been uh, like a committer or a contributor. I don't have like very first-hand experience in a, in a management committee in, in, in an Apache project. I've been open source for a while before that, uh, but not specifically Apache. So I think uh, it's been a great experience, actually, because... Uh, Apache so has uh, you know puts individuals it's like community over code and for a project like Hoodie where we want the storage to stay neutral uh, in the industry it it brings us like a really good forum uh, right because we have a project management committee with you know members from four different cloud providers a bunch of consumer internet companies and there is like you know us we, uh, you know it's 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 a lot of effort uh, to build a community and but it's actually very rewarding to see yeah. uh when people take their the, the open source project and go like you know uh build uh cool things and we can see the the impact you know off of it right but but it is uh definitely a lot of investment and for me i i actually don't have a lot of drama or interesting nuggets to share because it's actually been Super pleasant. We have a very healthy community that is like very friendly. Uh, uh, people help the community helps each other. That's that's the greatest thing for me to see. Is like okay, sure, I'm incentivized to help other people because started the project and like the bunch of people who work on the project help that. But when you actually see users helping users, 
uh, with like you know tips and how to do this win. That that is when you those are really good you know one you know moments I think for for a community based thing. For us as a company, we uh, a lot of people ask me this right, but we are mostly trying to we're still supporting hoodie the hoodie community. We are like you know we have dedicated resources to helping people. If people still think they want to build all this by themselves bare hands, they should be able to do that right. Uh, but if you want a faster track, we are around. That's how we we look at the open source versus managed kind of separation. Um, so it's been it's been great. Uh, it's a lot of effort though. Uh, that that's that's what I would say to anybody who wants to do that. It's it's like not uh, like it, it takes a lot of perseverance uh, through years to build a community. It's not easy. I think that's great feedback. I, I love the, the community that kind of setting forth the, the perpetual machine that it becomes, you know, self, self-fulfilling and, and yeah, it totally makes sense where either do it yourself or bring in services to help get you started on your journey faster. So we've got the, uh, the, the Apache project out there. I'm sure people can, can go find more information from the Apache hoodie uh, site in the community that you've referenced, but taking us a, a slight step back, if, if someone is relatively new to data lakes and and even this transactional com- component here, where would you where would you send somebody if they're wanting to learn more or get started in this area of data warehousing and data lakes? Is there some good resources that you would recommend, um, even your own? Yeah, I think we we have like plenty of quick starts and things like that. And then, for example, if somebody typically somebody starting this is either like let's say a data science kind of person or a data analyst who's crossing over from the warehouse to the the lake, all right. So, um, or a backend engineer who's now trying to understand data. So for all of those people, I think a good central like good point for us is we have very easy tools that let you move your uh kind of your event data or your any, any file sitting on cloud or, you know, quickly build like a table and then like try to integrate this with a bunch of different catalogs. And then you can now start querying and start understanding these tools, right? So we so we are in some sense a good entry point project for anybody trying to build a data lake, right? But beyond that, the the one advice I would have is it's a, it's a very like a diverse space with a lot of different tools. So try to pick one two tools and then try to understand them more well-rounded deeply before you go for breadth uh, because once you do that i think a lot of the other tools you can learn by just comparing and contrasting with the things that you know already so i would start with something like apache spark or apache flink or you know uh, one of these data processing libraries I would try to understand uh, some of these query engines, you know, Presto, Tree now, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, or even like, you know, some of these, uh, you know, even BigQuery has like really good external tables right now. So, you know, one of these query engines and uh, try to write programs using both like in code and as well as SQL, try to get like a, you know, sense of the, the price performance and like, you know, how the thing really behaves. Especially when you're coming from data warehouse space, I think you'll see very short queries can be a little bit slower on the lake. And you, you try to understand the play enough to understand what are different, right? Uh, when you come from a OLTP space, you will understand that they're all like going to scan data. So if you do like, there are no, hoodie has indexes, but most of the Lakehouse technologies don't have indexes. So if you don't have an index, then if you write like a normal database simple query, it's going to scan the entire people, right? So you so you'll you'll see all these like <laughs> subtle differences um, that that be, that stump them, and I've seen them a lot of times in in the community as well. So I would uh, encourage people to uh, pick two three things: uh, pick a storage layer, pick a compute like query engine, and learn them. Uh, like spend spend few weeks on that before you you kind of like go shop for bread. And uh, right, that that's what I would say. Yeah, I, it's really good advice. I, 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 as somebody who's got a lot of projects started around the house that are eighty percent done, um, I can definitely attest to the value of getting a few of them done first before going on to the next. But I think we all succumb to the the, the click happy nature of reading things, studying things, and then and looking at what's you know what does this mean, and then before you know it, you're on a whole new technology set. But um, 
Yeah, context switching in, in the learning process is definitely difficult. And you're right, there are so many tools that are out there, there are so many solutions and platforms, it uh, can be overwhelming. So, but I think that about wraps it up for this chat, uh, this fantastic conversation. I know I learned a lot. I think uh, for uh, those who can uh, or don't know, make your way over to the Apache Hoodie Project, the, the site, as well as One House, see all the great things that Vinoth is working on or has worked on. You've given me a lot of stuff to think about. I, I, I have no doubt that for the foreseeable future, every time I'm looking at my phone for that next Uber ride that's arriving, I'm going to be thinking about the transactional upserts, inserts, deletes that are happening to a data lake on the back end. And I'm going to say, I know how this works, kind of, sort of, and maybe I'll try to explain it to the person next to me. So with that, right. we'll catch everybody on the next Cloud Currents discussion. Thanks for enough, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. All right. Thanks for the fascinating conversation and the very interesting questions. I think we'll look forward to connecting again soon.